I'm going to self-deprecate a little bit and tell you a little bit about my past and some things that really, really affected me and how I saw God. Some of you should know my story, but if you don't know my story, my blood father left my mother and I when I was one. My blood father moved off to California, and in turn, I was raised by a single mom where I was left at the babysitter all day while she worked two jobs. And I hated, 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 hated going to the babysitter. And it was during that time that I found myself really desiring and seeking to be liked by people. I didn't like being left alone. I didn't like being abandoned. When my father left me, it put neglect into my heart, into my life. I didn't have a dad early on. And so my heart and desire was to always be liked and to please people. And it was, it was birthed out of that season of being rejected, abandoned, and left alone. And many of you have a similar background from your childhood. But God wants to heal you of that. And God wants to give you a right and accurate perspective of who he is, okay? And I didn't have that. And so what happened was, was I took a performance mentality and, and pleasing people and being successful into my relationship with God. And so all through high school, I wanted to be popular, okay? I wanted to be liked. And early on in my junior high days, uh, my father, my single dad that was raising me, I had a stepfather come into my life and we moved to Missouri and he didn't have a ton of money. And we always shopped at JCPenney or Walmart, okay? But I was in a small town in Missouri that really valued people based on how they looked and what they wore. And I was a total product of the 80s. And in the 80s, it really was about looks and style and I guess I would say fashion, okay? And so, of course, I wanted to be like everyone else and I wanted to fit in. And I was able to use some of my own athletic abilities to fit in. Uh, early on, even in junior high, I remember winning what was called a Superman competition. I did the most pull-ups, push-ups, and sit-ups to win the competition in eighth grade. I ran faster, and I worked harder, and I really wanted to be known, and I wanted to be popular, okay? And so then as I went into high school, I was like, you know, I got to have the latest, greatest. I don't care if we're shopping one time a year. I had to have the Jordache jeans. Yes. I had to have the Jordache jeans. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. My wife's up here shaking her head. She has no idea, right? Come on, you remember the Vidal Sassoon jeans, the Z Cavaricis. I mean, I had to be the most styling guy. I had the most awesome mullet you ever saw. And one of these days, I'll bring a picture for you so that you can see it. I sported a mustache. We'll, we'll get my high school picture up there. I had a mustache. I had a mullet. I mean, I was rocking. I wound up uh, being a great wrestler, one year I won state, state championship. I, I, my senior year, I was a conference champ pole vaulter. And everything that I was doing was about notoriety, being popular, and uh, having people like me, even though I was making a lot of poor decisions with drugs and alcohol on the backside. Uh, when I graduated, I definitely did not graduate the most likely to succeed, but I graduated one of the most popular in high school. And being popular and being known and being famous was something that was always very important to me. I always wanted to be liked, and I always wanted to have a lot of people surrounding me. I had a lot of friends. I worked hard to please people. I wanted to please my dad. He paid me for good grades. I, I loved being rewarded for doing things right, okay? Then, fast forward many, many, many years later, when it wasn't working for me, I was busted. I had been to jail. I was having all kinds of problems in my life. When I got born again, I took that same mindset and understanding of wanting to be a man pleaser 
into God in my relationship with God to be a God pleaser. But the way that I wanted to please God was totally erroneous, okay? I wanted to please God by Christian duty. And my Christian duty was if I prayed enough, went to church enough, fasted enough, worshiped enough, if I made my, kept myself clean, I really was doing all I could to be a God pleaser. But the way that I was pleasing God was through a measure up performance mentality. And a lot of people live that way today. They think if you perform good enough and measure up for God, then he'll accept you and you'll be pleasing in his sight, okay? That's why we've learned and talked about that we don't tell our children, you disappointed me. I'm so disappointed in you. And some of you have been raised or were raised in a home where your parents constantly told you really bad things about you. We didn't want you. You shouldn't have been born. I wanted a boy, not a girl, or a girl, not a boy, or I'm so disappointed in you. Now, do we get frustrated with our kids? Do they make poor choices and we get a little bit upset, sometimes a lot upset? You bet. But what we speak to our kids and what we speak over them is designed to value them for that, their identity, but also to teach them what healthy obedience looks like. And we're going to talk about that today, okay? So my relationship with God was broken. It was performance-driven. Now, today I want to talk to you about fame and fortune in the kingdom versus fame and fortune in the world's eyes. I want you to really understand what real fame looks like in a healthy context, because Jesus is famous, one way or the other, I can assure you, especially this time of year, right? It seems like he's most famous this time of year, obviously, Christmas time. But in some ways, Jesus is not famous. There are a lot of people that don't know anything about him or the world system sees Jesus through a wrong lens. The Jesus that they see or hear about on TV or from their parents or what they've known from past churches in many ways is not the real Jesus, okay? And so we have got to be the voice to show Jesus accurately and for who he is in the proper light, okay? And I'm going to talk about that with you today. So in the world system, being, having fame and fortune looks typically like this, being popular, being known. Today, we have a social media platform that I didn't have when I was in high school. And the social media platform with cell phones and internet, and I didn't have any of that, Okay? So I worked hard within my school system to be popular, but today it's so much easier to try to make yourself popular. Instagram likes, how many Instagram likes you have, Facebook likes, uh, how many views you had, being viral or going viral. We constantly live in a world, especially in high school today, where we want to be known or we want to be popular. But in the kingdom, it's completely opposite than the world system. Popularity and fame and fortune looks totally different in the kingdom of God. It's not about how much money we make. Our status isn't designed, isn't, isn't based on the clothes you wear, the hair you have, or how much you weigh. And I realize some of you may be overweight today, and your constant struggle is your weight. But the challenge is, is if you're not walking in identity and seeing yourself the way God sees you, to have a proper perspective to lose weight and take care of yourself and be healthy will typically be, des be designed on what other people think of you. And that's got to be broken. God wants to deal with that like right off the bat. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take better care of ourselves. But you've got to learn to see yourself the way God sees you right now. You've got to be able to look in the mirror and learn to be okay with yourself right where you're at and understand God's love and value and identity for you is not based 
on where you shop, the clothes you wear, how your hair is done, or how much you weigh, or how much money you have. And I want to break that off of you, okay? Because your value and our ident- your identity comes from the way God sees you and created you to be. Now, you may have made a lot of mistakes. You may have the spirit of gluttony in your life, and God wants to deal with that. But the way to deal with that is for God to first reveal to you and you to get the revelation of how he sees you and how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. Because your value and identity is not based on your job how much, or how much money you make. Because if it was, listen to me, we'd have an incredibly divided church. I mean, it's divided in a lot of ways, but to get it united, we got to break this stuff. And the division would be, well, your picture of success is, let's say that Tina you know, and Mark were just you know, blowing up in every area financially, bigger house, bigger stuff, more cars, and you measured her success based on that. And your success was you didn't have any of that. Or you measured your success and you don't have any of that. We'll live in a comparison world where we see other people better than we see ourselves. And that God wants to destroy that. God wants to break that down. It's not based on materialistic possessions. Now, you can have bigger houses and cars and stuff, but the real question is, is do you have the stuff or does the stuff have you? Because you can get more stuff and be drowning in debt and miserable, and now you've become a slave to the banker and a slave to your possessions. You understand? And so your value and your success and your identity isn't based on 100,000 Instagram likes or how popular you are or what you wear or how you look or how good you talk. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And the reason why I'm preaching this message is because we're going right into Christmas. People are depressed. They're battling suicide. They're battling their value. I mean, just walk through the mall today. I mean, you walk through the mall and the materialistic spirit is just like insane. We got to buy more stuff. We got to have more stuff. And I think most of us are frustrated with that materialistic thing at Christmas time. That's why my wife has an awesome plan with our kids. It's based on a need. It's based on a want. Like they get something they read. What else? Something they wear. And then we also give toys away. So we teach our kids, okay, look, you're going to get some stuff, but you need to decide what you're going to give away. And then we make the choice and decision to give some of their stuff away because we teach them about giving. And then, of course, we talk to them consistently about really why Jesus is the reason for the season, okay? And so fame and fortune is something that's very, very important, and it's important for you to understand that in the kingdom of God, the least is the greatest. You've got to understand this term, the least, okay? Because if you don't understand the least, you'll constantly be frustrated if your gifts and your calling aren't being valued, or you don't feel like you're being honored enough, or we're not, somebody's not seeing you enough. And what you do when you don't feel like you're being seen or you're being honored based on what you can do, you self-promote yourself. And in the kingdom, self-promotion will kill you, okay? But decreasing promotes you. That's what Jesus did. You have to understand that promotion really comes from the Lord. And yes, God does want to promote you. But the least is so important, okay? Let's pull up the scripture in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Mark 9, 35. Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he says this. If anyone desires to be first, they should be the last of all and the servant of all, okay? Another version says, if anybody desires to be great, then he becomes the least. 
greatness, the kingdom of God is totally opposite than the world system. And what we want to do is get the world out of the church or get the world out of our own lives. And that's a battle right now. It's a battle to be in the world and not of it, especially with social media, Instagram, Facebook, and people valuing and judging us based on looks, style, money, or successes on all the wrong reasons, right? So I'm preaching this message at this time of the year for you to understand that yes, God does want to exalt our lives, but it looks totally different than it looks like in the world, okay? You got to get a right perspective. So in the kingdom, the least is the greatest. The word least in the Greek is the word micros. And it means you are the smallest in a variety of areas, in quantity, in quality, in time, in space, in age, and even in position. Now that just blows our mind. Another great example is in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle Paul is talking about the body of Christ. And he says that we all need each other. No one can be isolated. You can't say to anybody in the body of Christ, I have no need of you. That's why isolation is unbiblical. Lone Ranger Christians are unbiblical. If you're not a part of a local church, you're out of the will of God. The problem is, is we have a lot of local churches that are jacked up. Not all, but a lot. And so what we've got to do is get healthy so God can use us and promote us any way that he wants. But we still learn to serve no matter where God plants us. Even King David had to serve under Saul when Saul was throwing spears at him and cursing at him. And when he cut the hem of his garment, he was convicted because he violated who God put in the position. Okay? And so fame and success look completely and totally different. It's the least. And some of you are struggling with being the least. In the kingdom, the weakest are the ones that are strengthened the most. In, in the world system, it's survival of the fittest. In the kingdom, it's survival of the weakest or the least. Because God takes little old broken you who's really not that good and who bombed it and blew it or came to your end and he flips the tables and says, watch the signs and wonders and miracles I can do with somebody like you. Yeah! yeah. Because the world that most of us came out of us or some of us will never have to go into. Because you're going to learn from me and learn from family and imitate people's lives that can be set as an example. That's what Paul did with Timothy, and he called the whole Corinthian church my beloved children that I've begotten. Okay? And so the least is critical. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 45, he said this powerful, powerful statement. He said, as much as you have done to the least, you've done it to me. I preached a message a long time ago titled, Taking Care of Jesus. You think, man, I'm going to take care of Jesus? Yep, there it is right there in the scripture. That it wasn't based on the accolades and the power and the prophecy and the supernatural deliverance. What it was really based on is that you gave a drink to the thirsty. You clothed the naked. You set the prisoner and the captives free. Those that had injustice, you brought justice. You cared for the widow. You cared for the poor. You did the things that were in his heart, but you also did it supernaturally. Because the supernatural is critical and important, which I'll show you, but it's not the first thing. The first thing is taking care of his people and looking at people the way God does. That's what he's really trying to get to, is you've got to see everybody the way I see them. 
And I was telling you that in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body a minute ago. Paul makes this powerful statement in the body. He says, the least honorable, the least desirable pieces of a body, parts of a body, are the most honorable and those that we should care the most for. That blows your mind. You mean my toe is this important? I should care more about my toe that you don't ever see unless we're at the beach at a baptism. I, my toe, my foot is as important as anything else, even though it seems to be the least? Yes, it is. Because his point is, is you never look at anybody with disdain and you, you understand that God is in the business of taking weak, broken, could never do it on your own people and making them great. You gotta get this. Because if you don't see it that way, then you'll self-promote or you'll hide in shame. And you'll self-preserve. God wants to break self-preservation. He wants to break self-promotion. We don't have to promote ourselves. Wisdom's justified by our children. God, in his own strength and ability, will promote when we're doing what God's called us to do. Okay? Now, we share online so that people can watch all over the world that need to hear this message and need to understand that popularity and fame is so much different in the kingdom than it is in the world. And I'm going to show it to you even more. Okay? So, Jesus... This is what Jesus thought about the least. Not only as much as we do it to them, we do it to him, but the Bible says that Jesus was numbered among the transgressors. Did you know that? It was prophesied, and then Jesus fulfilled it right before he ascended to heaven. He said, the scripture has to be fulfilled that I was numbered among the transgressors. And then he says, sell your cloak and buy a sword. And in the beginning, Luke 9 and 10, he said, take no money, don't take an extra cloak, don't take an extra pair of sandals, fully trust me. But then, right before he ascended, he said, hey, I told you then, don't take anything with you, but now I'm telling you, take a money bag, take extra sandals, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Because tyranny was going to come, and now they were going to number Jesus among the transgressors, which they'll do the same to you. It's called persecution. You don't be afraid of persecution. You just get a right perspective on it. When you start to get persecuted, you're rocking on fire. You're right where you're supposed to be. So why would you cave when people start talking bad about you? Right? And so then Jesus would would eat and drink with sinners, and he would get a, a bad reputation with the Pharisees. But he'd get a great reputation with the hurting and the broken and the lost and the dying. Jesus would make himself of no reputation. And Isaiah 54 says that they would esteem him stricken by God. Meaning that when he went to the cross and was killed, people would actually think God was doing it to him because he was out of line. That's how Jesus handled popularity. He would be esteemed stricken by God. He would be numbered or counted among the transgressors. Jesus never sought popularity, yet he was incredibly famous, wouldn't you say? Many people hated Jesus, many people loved him, and in the end, guess how many people that Jesus had ministered to that were at the cross with him? Two. John and his mom. Isn't that crazy? But Jesus still loved, and he still gave, and he still hung on that cross, and he said to the people, or he said to God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And some people have you hanging on a cross and are persecuting you or have treated you erroneously or wrong or said bad things about you or will, and your attitude is, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because the enemies work so hard to blind this generation. But we are the light of the world. We're the ones that penetrate that darkness. And we penetrate it with power. And I'm going to show that to you. To be great, we become small. To be first, we become last. To be known, we serve all. Fame means a widespread reputation. To be famous means you've got a widespread reputation. The best way that you can be famous is to be known for your character, to be known for the way that you live. Many Christians give Jesus a bad reputation, and we have to overcome it. And you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fall short, but you never give up and you keep pressing. And you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you realize you can't do it without him. And you break shame and you trust him in the process. But now when people see who you once were and who, they, who you've become now, like Johnny, your life is transformed. They say, wow, God is incredible because he could save a wretch like you. Right? When you used to be, now you're not. And so you can be famous for the right reason. It's an opinion or it's a recognition generally held by people. It's known as a reputation, okay? A reputation is the belief that people think about you, and the word reputation comes from a Latin word that actually means consideration. And the mindset is this, is when I think about you, what do I think? What am I considering about you? I'm taking into consideration, okay? I'm processing, and I'm thinking. So when I think about Robert, what I really think and see now, because I'm born again, and because I listen to God's voice, is different than what he may see or what the other world says or what the world says about him. Now, if I can get you to get the right perspective, if you could see what I see, do you see what I see? If you could hear what I hear, we're going to have to do that song for Christmas for sure. You got to get a right perspective on what success is. In the world's eyes, it's more money. In the world's eyes, it's how many likes, views, how viral you go, how many Instagram friends, your latest greatest message, your latest greatest revelation. And we live in a world now where success is completely contrary to what God says success is. It's completely opposite. The church is the opposite of the world system. We got to get the world out and get the hell out of this church. Yeah. Get a perspective. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Now, I've quoted this scripture a lot. I'm going to break it down for you again. This one passage of scripture has been an incredible reminder to me of how I'm to live my life. And if I were ever to give you a little simple formula, this is it. Okay. It's Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Philippians 2.5, let's start breaking it down a little bit at a time. The scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's what the apostle Paul is saying to the church at Philippi. He's saying, I'll paraphrase it, think the way Jesus thought. So if he says, let this mind also be in you, you should take note. Because you're being told, think this way. And a lot of people 
like to know exactly how I'm supposed to think. Some people don't like to be told what to do, but this scripture makes it very clear, let this mind be in you that was also in him, which should make us want to read, read on and know more, okay? Next verse. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The word form here is morph, okay? It's gonna be used again when it says that Jesus came in the likeness or the form of man. And the point was, was that, that God or Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And because he understood also who he was as a son, he didn't have to try to take something from God. That would be called robbery. And we have churches filled with a lot of religious robbers. Every, some of you have had a religious robbery. You had a religious holdup. You were told lies, you were sold lies, you believed lies. And there's, there's pulpit robbers. That's what I call them. They basically are not in the form of God, yet they're, they're trying to do and be like God with their words and their actions, but on the inside, something's, gone, something's wrong. It's hypocrisy at its finest, okay? So the understanding of the scripture is, is that Jesus did not have to grasp or take something from God because he was in the form of God. Now, let me break it to you down a little bit further. My kids have my last name. There's not one thing I own or possess that I don't want them to have. If you're a father or a mother, the reality, now I can't give it all to them right now. I mean, I can't say to my five-year-old, here's the keys to the car or wear this, you know, diamond ring that was your great-grandmother's because she would, she would not value it or cherish it and lose it. But the point is, is that it's not that I don't want her to have it but it's that it's at the right time. And what the understanding is, is that you've got to morph. Everybody say, I've got to morph into the form of God. It's a powerful word. It means that you're becoming like him. I mean, we all should say, Lord, I want to be more like you. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm saying I am God. That would be robbery. But what it does mean, if you break down the word here, equal, it means in quantity, quality, and character. It's the, another great word for its likeness. We were made in his image and his likeness. So the point I'm trying to say to you is, is that when you understand you have a full-grown Jesus living inside of you, you have every quality, characteristic, and attribute of who he is, you're a son and you're a daughter, now it's not robbery for me to say to that demon, come out or for me to say, be healed, or for me to say, flame on. Are you catching me? So watch what happens when you morph to the form of God, okay? Jesus morphed, and he, in turn, came in the likeness of a man. Let's look at the next verse. He made himself of no reputation, and he took on the form of a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of men. So he was fully God and fully man. You're fully son and fully all things to all men. So when Paul said, I'm all things to all men, what that means is I now have the fullness of Christ in me and I can speak pretty much every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And it means whatever your personality is, whatever your life stage is, whatever you look like, whatever you sound like, I have the ability now to reach you right where you're at. 
So Jesus would come and reach us right where we're at. And notice this. He made himself of no reputation. Number one, you got to make yourself of no reputation. Now, doesn't that not sound popular? That's not like the world. Wait, make myself of no reputation? Aren't I supposed to be known? Aren't I supposed to make Jesus great? Yes. But until you get into the form of God, you morph into his life. You got to be born again. You got to be filled with the spirit and you got to take on his character and his nature and his attributes. Okay? Now, when you get born again, you're instantly a new creation. Okay? You are instantly transformed. But then you have this process of a lifetime where the Holy Spirit works on your soul realm, removes unhealthy lenses, removes bitterness and unforgiveness, removes addiction, removes schizophrenia, removes all the crazy ways of thinking that you had for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in your life. The Holy Spirit works on your soul. The word for that in Christianity is regeneration. Do you know that? He regenerates or remakes or recreates and rebuilds like a, like a powerful 20,000 watt generator right inside your gut. And he makes you into a new creation. Then, when you got born again, today, Rock City, and tomorrow, it never ends. You're always being made new, okay? So look what happens. Jesus makes himself of no reputation, and he becomes a bondservant in the likeness of men. You know what he came to do? Serve you. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to be served. So he would make himself the least, and he'd say, take care of the least. He would be numbered among the transgressors. He would be considered stricken by God, and he would be, in a sense, an outcast by the religious leadership of the day, but he would reach the most hurting and broken people, the seemingly most insignificant. And then he'd say, now, you go and take care of them, because when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. When I came in this morning, I happened to walk in the back alley with a couple of our ushers, and right on the ground, it was a big crack pipe. You know what my first thought was? Thank you, Jesus. You put us in the right spot. My first thought was, I'm in the right spot because somebody needs to hear what I have to say. Somebody needs freedom in their life. Somebody is hooked on meth and outcasts and living in poverty and thinking about killing themselves. Because bad fruit, bad root, everybody, remember that. The issues of alcoholism and drugs and fear and worry and anxiety, panic attacks. The word panic comes from the root word pan, which is a, the spirit of the, the mythological god, pan, that plays the pan flute. And it's a, it's a spiritual demon that puts you into fear and anxiety and worry and self-preservation. You can't go places. You can't go out. You're afraid. You're living in terror. The spirit of Pan puts you into a terroristic mindset. But Jesus brings the fruit of the spirit, and he brings supernatural faith that gives you the ability to overcome all odds and to not give up and to not back down. You got to know the word. You got to know how he sees you, and you got to flame on. It's time to flame on, people. I'm talking lit up and on fire for Jesus. Now look, no reputation. Form of a bondservant. Likeness of men, verse 8. 
And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humility, and he became obedient, obedience to the point of death, even death on the cross. So humility and obedience are key factors. Here's your key factors to really becoming everything God wants you to become. You've got to make yourself no reputation. You've got to become more like him with growth, time, process, the word, worship, identity. You've got to humble yourself, and you've got to be obedient to carry your cross and to deny yourself and lay your life down and become a real disciple. Even death on the cross, and then notice what happens. Look at verse 9. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. What did God do? I fully believe God wants to highly exalt you. You know why? You bear his namesake. You're a son and daughter. You're the representatives of his hands and feet on earth. If we're going to fulfill Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge and the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea, tag, you're it. We're the ones that bring the knowledge and the life and the light. And there's a world system, even at our own college here in town, of people that have no idea who Jesus really is. They don't even know what a pastor is. They've never even been to a church. Or all that they've seen is warped and skewed, so you get to bring the real thing. So fame and popularity comes by being positioned in who you are and not seeking your own self-fame and popularity. I'll show it to you even more, okay? It's fame done right. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. My family and I were just in Capernaum in October. We literally went to this very synagogue where Jesus was teaching on the Sea of Galilee. We were there, okay? Jesus goes into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. This is Mark chapter 1, first chapter of Mark 1. The only thing that Mark talks about prior to this is Jesus coming to the disciples, telling them, repent, the time is at hand, believe the good news and follow me. And then he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. The disciples drop their nets, and they follow Jesus, okay? So then... Jesus goes right into the synagogue to teach, verse 22. And when he gets there, the people are astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one what? Your authority comes from your identity, not how much you know, not how popular you are, not your title, not your position. You understand that? Authority comes from identity. If you want to grow in your spiritual authority over the enemy and over your circumstances, you got to get in the form of God as a son and as a daughter and understand who you are. And then you come out confident. Have you ever heard somebody teach or preach and it doesn't seem like they have authority in their life? Just going through behavior modification, formulistic teaching, five points. Where's the fire? Where's the, where's the miracles and the signs and wonders? Where's the transformation? Where's the confidence? So the people were immediately amazed. Why? Because for the last 30 years, Jesus had been growing in his identity as a son and who he is and learning the scriptures and learning the word and learning the relevance of who he was and what he was about to do. So when he sprung on the scene, bam, people were amazed because he set the contrast. Everybody say the contrast. The contrast is the difference between dark and light. So right off the bat, they'd say, look, this guy is not teaching the way the scribes teach. Something is different about him. And they paid attention and they were astonished. Verse 23. Now there was a man there and he had a demon. And the demon started to cry out. 
Jesus goes to teach. People are astonished. Jesus is teaching with authority. Suddenly a demon manifests and starts crying out in the midst of the synagogue. Next verse. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Notice the next line. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Do you know that when you get born again, the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice. When you get born again, you become famous in God's eyes because now you're a son. And now the angels know because they rejoice. When you get born again and flame on spiritually, trust me, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. The world around you will see because you will change. What you say, how you write, how you represent will be different. And you will also be known in the devil's kingdom. There have been times, I've told you the story where I cast a demon out of a stripper girl. She was laying in a parking lot, convulsing, foaming at the mouth. We're laying out there and I'm busting up the demon for my first time. I'm commanding it to come out. The demon's not wanting to leave. I've told the story here several times. Some of you I know want to hear it again. I'll probably tell it again. I'm going to tell it all right now. But what I can tell you is when that demon finally was going to come out, it opened its eyes, looked at me, cussed me out by first name. And I've had many, many times where that's happened, and the demon called me by name, but the person never knew who I was. Because the demons knew who Jesus was. The demons knew. You'll get, you'll get a reputation, trust me. When you start being who God's called you to be, fame, popularity, and success will be done right. Because God wants us to be successful. My wife quoted it last week in Joshua 1.8. But real success isn't stuff. Real success is real abundance in your understanding of who you are, how you walk, and what God does inside of you. And how he expands your territory. Verse 25. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out. Come out! Exclamation point, by the way. Verse 26. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. Now, I want you to notice Jesus did this publicly. If somebody in a prayer line up here starts convulsing and foaming at the mouth a demon, and we're telling it to come out, some of you are going to think this church has lost its mind. I'm telling you right now, because the church and the world thinks that's abnormal, a lot of the church. But here it is scripturally. And sometimes Jesus would bust up a demon publicly so the people could see what real power and authority looks like. About a month ago, I was preaching here, and a, a lady in the third or fourth row started manifesting a demon. She hunched over and started doing her hands and making noises, and Pastor Marlene, who just, I mean, she's a demon buster, she sneaks around over here. Many of you may not even have known this right during service. Up here in about third or fourth row, Starts praying she calms down. Next thing you know, she starts, there's this weird thing going on in this whole region where people do a hand thing, okay? And what they're really doing, it's a demon com communicating with demons, demonic, okay? And people will come in here and in worship, they start doing hand stuff, right? Praise God. Let's bust it up. They're in the right place, right? But the thing is, is if you don't have an understanding, you're going to go, whoa, that's a, that is a crazy cult church. I got to get out of here. you got to get a perspective. So the demon convulses and comes out. Look at the next verse, 27. 
Then they were all amazed. And they asked themselves, what is this? What new doctrine is this? They saw it as a new doctrine. Which means they didn't have understanding. And people are going to come in here and go, oh, that's, a, that's spirit-filled, crazy, charismatic, tongue-talking, demon-busting church. Oh, those guys are just, they're so Pentecostal crazy. Listen, it's super normal. We're going to do it like Jesus to the best of our ability and be spirit-led. Demons got to be busted up. When the, when, when the manifestation happened here in the church, the lady started manifesting again, and Marlene took her back to the corner, and she started manifesting even more. And eventually, we had to take her over to uh, C1, where she convulsed, and it got even crazier, like full-scale manifestation. Now, if you were sitting anywhere over in this section, and you saw that, and you were here for the very first time, you'd go, what manner of doctrine is that? But just notice, Jesus is teaching with authority and the demons can't stay. Because when you know your identity, the demon, and you shut the door, the demon can't stay anymore. He'll try, he'll keep trying to come back, familiar spirits knock on your door and all kinds of stuff. People are going to manifest. Just learn and trust and believe. I'm not a demon hunter. I don't have to be a demon hunter. Jesus wasn't a demon hunter. They just manifested in his presence, right? So look at the next verse, verse 28. And immediately, what happened? Immediately, Jesus' fame spread. Do you see and understand that we don't have to self-promote ever? When we do what Jesus called us to do, we'll set the contrasting difference as the light of the world. And God will bring the harvest and the hurting and the broken to your life. Doesn't matter where you're at and what you're doing. You're always ready in season and out to bust up the enemy's dark, enemy's kingdom, because of who you are. And notoriety and fame and popularity on its own will spread because you're in the right position. So Jesus was famous. Now look what happens in verse 33, 32, 32. Before this, and after the last scripture we read, Jesus would go to Simon the Peter's house, Simon Peter's house, and heal his mother in law of a fever. And then we read this. At nighttime, this is all still Mark 1. At nighttime, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. Because sickness and demonic oppression often go hand in hand. Okay? People that are bitter, angry, live a life of hurt and pain, drugs, alcohol, stress, worry, all those things can bring sickness into our life. That's why forgiveness is so important. You got to forgive everybody. I'm telling you, if you're spinning out on drugs, alcohol, sex, fear, shame, all that is because of a bad root and belief system that God wants to cut out in your life. And so at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him, everybody need healing, we're demon possessed. Next verse. And who came out? Come on, guys, we're Rock City. We're the city built on the rock. We're going to go out into the highways and the byways, and we're going to go to the city gates. But God's going to do it in his way. I don't have to self-promote myself. Neither do you. Will we put things out on the internet so the world can hear the message because we live in a technological age? Yes, but our hearts are in it for the right reasons. It's not to have more followers or more people or, or to just be known more. It's to make him known. 
And so it says that all the people were gathered together at the door. The whole city came out to hear what Jesus had to say. Verse 34. Guess what Jesus did? He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out the demons. And he didn't allow the demons to speak. Why? Why wouldn't Jesus want his fame to spread right then? Why wouldn't he want to be popular? Anybody know? Because it wasn't his time. In fact, when Jesus started to get really, really popular, I want you to look at Mark 145. Mark 145 says that he had just healed a leper, and he told the leper to not tell anybody about his healing. Just like he told the demons not to talk, he told the leper, don't go tell anybody that you've been healed. But listen, if you've been healed with a sickness like that or a terminal illness, it's going to be pretty hard to be quiet. And so it says that the leper went out and began to proclaim it freely. I love the King James Version says he went out and blazed. He went out and blazed the news everywhere. B-L-A-Z-E. Flamed on. Because when you have a lightning strike from God, when you experience God's presence and God's power, when you morph into his likeness and image, you can't help but not tell the world. So what did he do? He began to blaze or spread the news with fire and passion and fervency and herald it everywhere that he went. And look what it did. Because of that, Jesus now could no longer enter openly into the city. But instead, what did he do? He retreated to the highways and the byways and the deserted places. We have to understand that Jesus' model of success is not the same as ours. Jesus' own brothers encouraged him to go to Jerusalem and show himself with signs and wonders and power. And he said, and it was because they didn't believe in him. So they were trying to self-promote him for the wrong reasons. And he says, my time hasn't come. And that's why you've got to learn, stay in the shadows and stay the least and get healthy and become like Jesus and stop worrying about what other people think and say. And did I recognize you? Do the things that are the least. That's what I did. I served no matter what, no matter where God told me to, whether I got paid or whether I got accolades. And I honored authority at all times because I knew whether they were right or wrong by serving and honoring them that God would honor me. I knew that that would happen many, 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 many years ago. And so it says that instead of Jesus, when the fame of him spread all around, and he couldn't even go to the city openly, instead of bigger conferences, better flyers, more Facebook and social media posts, what did he do? He retreated into the deserted places. But guess what? When you're doing what God's called you to do, it doesn't matter where you go. Because even in the deserted places, guess what? All the people came to him from every direction. And that's what's going to happen at Rock City Church one day. More and more people will be coming for training and equipping and healing and to understand real identity and to understand what real kingdom success looks like. And we give all the credit to God and all the glory to God. But I'm telling you that the day is going to come and we never have to self-promote ourselves. Okay? I'm going to leave you with this last story and then I'm going to pray for you. I didn't get to tell this story fully last service, so I'm excited to tell it to you now. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. And when he gets to Ephesus, 
which is an incredibly, incredibly huge demonic stronghold. The city council were full scale into witchcraft. They considered themselves the gatekeeper of Diana or Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world was in Ephesus. Ephesus was full of idolatry and witchcraft, and it was a very supernatural city. I mean, if it's got a lot of idolatry and witchcraft, trust me, they think they've got a lot of power, okay? And so Paul gets there, and he finds some disciples of John, and he asks them if they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they say, we haven't even heard so much there is a Holy Spirit. And then he says, what have you been baptized with? They say, baptized only in water. And he says, okay, I'm going to get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them, and they get filled with fire and power and authority, start prophesying and praying in tongues. Then we pick up at verse 11. I just paraphrased the first part of that. I love, the, I love what, what God did in Ephesus. Riots, flipping up things upside down. The silversmiths and the idolatry workers couldn't even make money anymore. I mean, this is like re- wrecking a city for Jesus. This is my kind of thing, by the way. And God has shown me we're a church like Ephesus. Okay? So it goes on to say that, that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. How? Why? Well, if you read Paul's story, he was the least and he knew it. He was a murderer. And he told the story and reminded the people of how he was the least. And he stayed and he learned many years in many different places before this happened. Real humility. Real sh- being in the shadows. Okay? So God works these crazy miracles by his hand. Verse 12. So that handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out. And he wasn't even there. It'd be like, I take this packet of tissues right here. I won't rub anywhere else. And I say, Melissa, take that packet of tissues to your daughter or someone you know that's sick, and they'll be healed. Now, in today's age, you're like, oh, that's so crazy. But it's in the Bible. Now, I don't know. I don't think Paul had to try to make it happen. I think Paul stayed in position. I don't know how God's going to do or what God's going to do, but I'm ready for it, and I want you to be ready for it. So look what happens. People that were demonically possessed are set free and had diseases are set free. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And here's what they said. We exorcise you in the name or by the Jews whom Paul preaches. And look at verse 14. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest who did so. Verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and they said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? This is powerful. And I'm asking the question, who are you? Because your identity and fame isn't on the, la- the label from the world or your past. You're not so-and-so the drug addict. You're not so-and-so the alcoholic. You're not so-and-so that person you used to be. And the understanding here is that it's only through identity and confidence of who you are and being born again and full of the Spirit that you can do what Paul and Jesus did. And in turn, it was bad news for the sons of Sceva. 
It was a bad situation. Look at the next verse. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Whoa. It became worse for the people trying to do something, hence religious robbery. Religious robbery will kill you. Religious robbery will, trying to self-promote and put yourself in a position that without being confident in your identity and who you are, without understanding what real fame and fortune and success looks like, it'll kill you. But imagine a people that make themselves of no reputation. We make ourselves of no reputation. And you know what happens when you make yourself of no reputation? You get a reputation. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Acts 6, 3, the deacons were promoted into position because why? Look at the screen. They had a good reputation. They were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they were appointed. So you got to make yourself of no reputation to get a reputation, and God will give you one. Don't fall prey to the world system. Don't think that you're being overlooked because God sees everything. And what you do in the private, God reveals publicly. Promotion comes from God. Some of you are frustrated because you feel like your gifts and your talents aren't being used, or that I'm not saying, or that the leaders aren't saying, or you're, you're constantly questioning the way things are. And I wanted to teach heavily about vision today and next week, but I felt it most important that we understand first and foremost is that God sees everything and you're famous in his eyes and you're not going to be overlooked. And when you do the least and it seems like nobody's seeing, you don't have to self-promote yourself because God's the one that promotes you in his way and his timing. Do you understand that? And it's not my desire for any of you to become stagnant in your gift. When your gift's not expressed, you can become depressed. I get it. I don't want any of you depressed because your gifts aren't flamed on. But you get flamed on by first becoming sons and daughters, being full of the Spirit, and being in position to do what you can bust up demons, heal the sick, evangelize. You can do all that outside of here. My job is to inspire you and to train you and equip you to take it out of the four walls of the church and to not be like the world in trying to gain more likes and be more popular or look better or sound better. Just be who God's called you to be as sons and daughters of the living God. And he'll make you prophetic. He'll give you a voice. Lay your life down and he will highly exalt you just like Jesus did. And you'll see and become everything that God desires for you. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that help some of you? Good, let's stand. I'd like to ask my prayer partners and my ministry team to please come up. All my approved prayer partners and ministry, ministry team, if you'd please come up this morning. Some of you are in a real-life crisis right now. If you're in a real-life crisis, you're at the right spot. Some of you really feel like you're the least and that nobody cares about you. You know, one of the most common statements that a suicide victim or somebody that is a victim of suicide or takes their life says, 
no one will even know or miss me when I'm gone. Did you know that? They believe that nobody actually cares and that if you weren't here, it wouldn't matter. Some people do it out of spite and vengeance to get back on somebody and it really crushes and hurts everyone. But what I want you to know is first and foremost, in God's eyes, he loves you and you're valuable to him. Second of all, if you feel like, if you've been frustrated, because I know that some of you are feeling frustrated. But you have to understand the new wineskin process. God cares probably more about the, the, the wineskin than the wine. I love his presence. I love him outpouring his spirit. But what good is it if it, we crack and break and it pours out? Do you see that? He wants to make you a new wineskin. So that in the fermentation process, the wineskin can expand. And now you go from grape juice to being potent to transform lives. It's called new wine. And if you've been frustrated or feeling overlooked, you know, a lot of times, like, I have to just not even look at my Instagram feed or my Facebook feed because I'm battling comparison or I'm feeling like, wow, man, you know, look at them and look at that. I just don't, uh, there's a lot of times where I don't want to really even know. And there's sometimes I do. And I'll, and I'll check out other people's ministries or what they're doing. But the world system and even in Christendom, the desire to be known or popular is so high. Let's break that. Let's become, in a sense, a nameless and faceless generation that God highly exalts and makes us like him. Wouldn't that be awesome? I want people to say about Rock City Church, man, that, I, I don't want them to say, oh, that David Bendet, he's so awesome, that church. What I want them to say is the people of Rock City Church and that tribe and that family is full of power and life and they're unified. It's something we've never seen before.